So um, let, me, let me read Romans 5. I'm going to read it in the NIV, and then we'll, uh, we'll just kind of spend some time talking through it. Y'all good? Everybody okay? Sick. All right. Holly, Caden, what's up? Newly married? Fresh off that in, in a, I about said engagement. Fresh off that honeymoon? <laughs> it's so good to see you guys. Y'all got a glow. Y'all got a glow. All right. Um, here we go. Romans 5. Y'all, y'all just read through this with me. We're going to spend some time on Romans 5, and not just today, like maybe for the next uh, couple of centuries. No, I'm just kidding. Romans 5. Here we go. <clears throat> now, I, I want you to hear this, and if you go back, do this this week. Romans is a short book. If you go back and start from the beginning, the way Paul writes is brilliant. It is, I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you how brilliant it is. And... He starts the book of Romans, or the letter of Romans, by essentially talking about um, how, I guess, bad sin is, where things were, you know, and then God's judgment and blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to Romans 3, which talks about all the sin that fallen short of the glory of God, which, by the way, we highly, highly, highly um, do that complete injustice because the actual sentence is... Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So any sermon that you've ever heard that stopped at all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they stopped way too short, literally. It is not all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so you better repeat a prayer. It's all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but here's the good news. Everybody has also been justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That don't preach as good in the American West. So we stop at, bro, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, you missed a part. You know what I'm saying? Because the ones that sinned and fall short of the glory of God had also been redeemed. So anyway, all right. And then he goes eventually into Romans 5. So let me, let me read this. And this is, I mean, the best chapter in your Bible. Okay, here we go. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been, so he's kind of summarizing what he's written all the way up to this point. Since we've been justified through faith, say through faith, Thank you. We, or let us, have peace with God through our Lord Christ Jesus. That is massive. I'm going to hang out for a minute. Uh, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Okay? And by faith, pistis comes from God. Okay? So, therefore, since we've been justified by what comes from God that we've agreed and trust in, we have peace with God. Amazing. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, starting in verse 6, Paul knocks something out of the ever-loving atmosphere, and it's awesome. So, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, and this is, we're going to spend some, a minute on that. At just the right time, we were still powerless. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Uh-oh. Who? He, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are y'all hearing this? I'm going to need some of y'all to amen me on this, okay? Because um, 
Lord. Paul says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And, he, and he's building his argument that's going to lead to 18, okay? 518. But he's building his argument. And he says, very rarely, very rarely would somebody die for another person. But for a good person, a lot of people might die, right? So for my wife, I'm going to jump in front of a bullet, right? Now, how many of you, for um, one of your enemies, would you jump in front of a bullet? Very few of us, right? You know what I'm saying? And so what, what Paul is saying is, is, of course, for a good person, somebody might possibly die. But here's how God demonstrated his love for us. When we were not the righteous people, when we were still sinners, he died for us. At that moment, okay, sinners, hamartia, uh, without form. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? I think the translation right there should be um, by God's wrath, but I digress. How much more shall we be saved, let's say it, by God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, hear, hear this, if while we were God's enemies, right? And now remember what sin is. And Paul says this later, when we were enemies in our minds. Okay, so Paul's really messing with how we think. But while we were still enemies, Colossians 1, in our minds, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having now been reconciled, shall we be saved, sozo, through his life? Remember what I said sozo is? Freedom from oppression. So that is present, that's not looking ahead to heaven or hell. That's present, active, right now, this creation, okay? So having been reconciled, shall we be freed from the oppression of what? From sin, through his life. Not only this, or not only is this so, but also we boast in God through our Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. He used this over and over and over. And I'm gonna talk about the word in a minute. Verse 12, uh, Lord, I can't even tell you how much of a love affair I have with this next part. Therefore, having said all of this, therefore, just as sin entered through one man into the world and death through sin, in that same way, death came to all people because, Romans 3, all sinned, okay? Through one man, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, right? So in that way, death came to all people because all have sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. So now he's kind of telling what the law's purpose was, Okay? But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Now, let me stop right here. The law was for who? This is a trick question, but who, who was the law given to? Israel. The Jews. Yeah. Who was the law not given to? Gentiles. No, no, let me say, okay. So Gentiles had no law. Y'all with me? We're Gentiles. Gentiles had no law. It was the Israelites. So let me read this again. Because I think sometimes we, we don't process this right. Um, sin was in the world before the law was given. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern or a type and shadow of the one to come. Who's the one to come? Christ. I mean, this is, this is so huge. But the gift is not like the trespass. 
For if, if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sin. The judgment overflowed, or excuse me, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Now Paul's saying, if that ain't enough, let's just get down to the guts. For if by one trespass, or if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If that's not enough, let's go a little bit further. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many or all, pos is the Greek word, which means all or the many, the entirety, it could mean. Okay, So just as the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many or all will be made righteous. Now check this out, check this out. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. The law was brought in so that the understanding of how far we had gone might increase, but check this out. But where sin increased... Grace increased all the more. That is, huh? Where sin increased, that is where grace increased even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm not going to mess with that. That's dropping me insane. This, I can't even begin to tell you what we just read. Because we have, number one, you probably never heard a sermon on Romans 5 growing up. Because that is the antithesis of every denomination in the Western church. So I, I would dare say you probably never heard a, a message on Romans 5 growing up. I promise you you've heard a message on Romans 3 that says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I guarantee you've heard that. Right? Right? Brother, all of sin. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to be very careful who we say all about. Because Paul later on says if you're going to give all to Adam, you've got to give all to Christ ultimately. That's what Paul says. Right? So let me, let me, let me, let me just break some stuff down. First, let me talk about, and I'm about to give you a giant word, but I'm just saying this for my purposes. You don't necessarily have to write this down. First, let me talk about what I have called this week. I've kind of put a label on this, and this is what it is. Ready? I've called this the law of contextualized defining of anthropological origins. Okay? The law of, and I'm writing a, I'm writing a little a book on this, but, um, little, well, not a book, kind of a thin little pamphlet but a law of contextualized defining of anthropological origins. Okay, what this means is you can give context to and definition of 
the study of humanity, which is what anthropology means, study of humanity, by looking at where, or in this case, whom humanity came from. That's what that means. You can get context and definition to humanity by looking at where they came from, the origins. Okay? So let me just, let me just mess with you for a little bit. God is God. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so God, theoretically, could have brought about humans from endless possible origins. He could have raised each human up individually as he did Adam. He could have just manifested us in our individual times. He could have made us fall out of trees. He could have made us sprout up out of the ground. God could have brought about human beings in any way possible. He's God. Right? You know what I'm saying? I know we've never never thought about this, but this is, okay. He's God. But he chose that the way he would produce the human race is by reproduction. God didn't, like, God didn't spawn Adam out of reproduction, okay? He, he raised Adam up and then reproduced his image and likeness to mirror back. But the way that he produced human beings is a completely fresh and new idea. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to reproduce, Genesis 1, of the same kind. So God chose that the way he would produce the human race is by way of reproduction. Reproduction is a remaking of another product of the same kind, or in this case, human. Okay? This is crucial to the story of God and us. This is critical. If God brought about every human being from a unique and individual origin, though, yes, still coming from God, we would have trillions of individual human beings. Amen? If some of y'all are like, I'm about to bring it back down, but you know what I'm saying? So if God, if God raised up every human being and produced them in a very individual way, like you didn't come from your mom and dad, you just came from the ground, or you just came from the sky, or you just came from wherever. You know what I'm saying? If God chose to do that, we would have trillions and trillions throughout history of individual human beings. Connected in no way other than the fact that God originated them. You know what I'm saying? But because everyone came from or is ultimately a product of one, Adam, we don't have human beings as a trillion different unique individual bodies, but as a trillion different unique and unified parts of one body, the human race. Y'all with me? Okay. The, the leap from seeing human beings or the human race is huge. Our current culture is majorly, I'm going to take a little rabbit, but I've got to bring some context. Our current culture is majorly influenced by the Enlightenment period of the 18th century. This period centered around ideas like, tell me if some of these sound familiar, the pursuit of happiness, um, and I'm not saying these are bad or good, but the pursuit of happiness, the sovereignty of reason, the evidence of the senses as a primary source of knowledge. What can I see? What can I feel? What can I hear? What can I touch? That's real. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, uh, It brought about 
and advancement of ideals like liberty and progress and constitutional government and separation of church and state. This is where the, the Enlightenment period brought about all these. Some of y'all have heard me talk about the Enlightenment period. This is when Thomas Jefferson uh, comes out with the Jefferson Bible, um, which omits any miracles, any prophetic words, um, the virgin birth, the resurrection. Um, it omits miracles, all that stuff, and just gives us a Bible of you know peace and hope and love and good stuff. Okay, This is that period. So if that tells you anything, some of y'all love Thomas Jefferson and you don't like him anymore, so praise God. But... Um, wasn't he, was he a president? Was Thomas Jefferson president? Yeah, awesome, great. This explains a lot. All right. A huge, a huge piece of the Enlightenment was a shift to a narcissistic view of self and country. This was the major defining piece of the Enlightenment period. There was a shift in the Enlightenment period to what's best from what's best for us to what's best for me. Huge shift. And for countries, it wasn't what's best for the globe. It was what's best for us. This happened. Do what's best for you, the idea. Do what's best for you, even if it comes at the expense of other people or other countries. In fact, what we really meant was it's a bonus if it comes at the expense of other people or other countries. For example, we just saw this in Afghanistan. We literally just saw this that we said, we don't give a crud what happens to you guys. We're getting our tails out of there. And what has happened? Murders and explosions and all that stuff. But boy, we're out. You know what I'm saying? This is a direct, that's not a political statement. Lord, I mean, I, don't, I think everybody on both sides of the aisles um, has acknowledged that that's a complete debacle. But that's the idea. This is, a, this is a lot of what we've seen play out over the past year and a half. I mean, let's just be real, right? It's not been like, you know, what's best, what's best for us as a culture? It's been what's best for me. What do I think? How do I feel? How do I process this? And if it's not like that, then you're wrong. And if you're wrong, cut. You know, but have you seen this over the past year and a half? Right? We saw it through COVID. We saw it through race. We saw it through the, uh, the election. We thought, saw it through all of it. It was, if you don't agree with me on this and you don't agree with me on this, then screw y'all. And I can say that because we're not on live stream. You know what I'm saying? But, it was the, but there was nowhere was there any point where we said, let's sit around and talk about what's best for us as a body. And the problem is, is we see human beings as complete individual realities. What we miss is that every single human being is a part of one body called the human race. This is massive, okay? Religion is rooted in this, and we're going to see this in a bit when I talk about reconciliation. Because of this, religion sees Jesus and the kingdom as a project that is individualized, therefore works-based, rather than cosmic and familial, therefore identity-based. One more time. We, religion sees Jesus and the kingdom as an individual project, Right? We do not see what it actually was, which is a cosmic family identity project. All through the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, we see Israel referred to not as a bunch, but as one, as a whole. We see in the book of First and Second Kings over and over and over that it says that the actions of the king were laid on all the people. They lived or they died as one. 
based on the head of the one, which in the Old Testament was the king. Are y'all tracking with me? Y'all hearing some of the parable stuff I'm saying right now? Right? Let he who has an ear hear. In the Old Testament, they were, they were the king, whether he was good or whether he was bad, it was laid on all the people. So if there was a bad king, it wasn't said that that king was bad. It said that Israel was. And if there was a good king, it didn't say that king was good. It said Israel was good. Right? So God responded to Israel as a whole based on the actions of the king because the king was the head of the body. When they had a good and righteous king, they prospered as a whole and they were blessed. When they had an evil king, they were oppressed as a whole and they were disciplined. As the head, the king, was, uh, as, excuse me, as the head was, so was the body, the people as a whole. In Hosea 2, in Isaiah 62, among all, countless other places, Israel is referred to as the bride of God. Not the brides of God, but the bride of God. Not many, but one. And of course, in the New Testament, we see that we are members of his body. Ephesians 5.30, we're all members of the body. He's the head. Uh, in John, Jesus prays for us to be brought to complete unity and that the world would know that the Father sent Jesus and has loved us with the same love that he loves Jesus by our unity as one. We see in Hebrews, when Hebrews talks about tithing, it says when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, his entire seed tithed to Melchizedek and they didn't even exist yet. So, so we have a whole narrative in Scripture when God is giving us his anthropology, his study of humanity. And God's anthropology was not, here's a trillion different individual beings that all act and live as individual people. It was, here's the human race and all of the trillions of people are a part of the one body of the human race that the head is Christ Jesus. Okay. This all, of course, makes theological sense as well. Complete sense. When Adam was created, Adam, by the way, meaning man or humanity, okay, carrying the seed of everyone to come within, Genesis 1.27, God says this, let us make man or humanity in our image and likeness. Now, y'all ready for this? This is the stuff I said I've never heard before. So y'all good? Y'all with me? All right, here we go. Check this out. God is triune. It's a trinity God. And the early church fathers called it perichoresis. I've talked about that before. So God is so connected that God is one in identity, yet three within that one that never lose self. Y'all good? So Father, Son, and Spirit exist in such a unified relationship that God is referred to as one. Yet there's three pieces of that one that never lose self in the one. They are one, yet completely unique, yet completely one, yet completely unique. So, so I want you to hear this. So we as individuals don't just reflect the image of God as beings. We do so as beings that are so united to each other that we're one. The human race. As our innate identity reflects like a mirror, God, 
so are in a relationship with every human being reflects like a mirror God. So this inevitably produces its own community as a byproduct. And why the workspace religion we see uh, when we see us as an individual and others as valuable only by what they bring to the table for me never works. This is why we see this. It's because when God knit us together, when, when he raised up Adam, he was raising up one, and within that one was the totality of everybody else. So you and I are not just, I'm not just Josh, the individual human being. I'm Josh, the finger of this human race body. We've taught this for years about the church. For years, we've taught this. And we can't even do it in the church. But what Scripture's telling us is not just the church, as in the denominational place that you show up to and worship at Sunday at 10 is connected as a body, because we ain't. He's saying the ones that he died for are connected as one. That Listen, and it had to be like that for him to represent on the cross the totality of who he was representing. Human, the human race had to be one in order for the human race to be represented in one. That's the only way it could have possibly happened. So how does this, now I want you to, I want you to think about this. It's not hard to love your enemies or to carry each other's burdens or to lay down your life for another or to forgive others, etc. when you see that what you do or don't do for others is actually what you do or don't do for yourself. What they are going through, we are going through, for we are one. Now... What happens when we walk through the past year and a half? Now, sorry, I'm going to move this out of the way so I don't feel like I'm stepping all over you. Now, over the past year and a half, I'm not complaining with somebody else because they see something as different than I do, and I'm going to take my stand against them, and I hope it ends in their demise. I hope I prove them wrong. Now I'm looking at other people and saying, as you go, so I go, and as I go, so you go. And now we can completely disagree, but never lose self and never lose unity. Do you see what I'm saying? This is unreal, unreal. And if we could get this, there is, this is why Jesus, he comes onto the scene and he looks at them and he says, you said, I said this last week and maybe some of y'all took it, maybe y'all didn't. But Jesus comes to him and says, you said to love those who love you, but I say to love your enemies. How could Jesus say that? Jesus said, love those who love you. Was he not the word? The word was given through Moses and from Moses to the people. Here's what Jesus said. Moses said to love those who love you. I say to love those who don't love you. So y'all real quiet. I'm, I'm just quoting Jesus. This is not me. Right? Well, Josh, what are you saying? I'm going to take it up with Jesus. That's what he said. But, but here's my point. Is Jesus is coming in and he's saying, guess what? I'm here. You don't have enemies anymore. 
enemies are illegal for you now. Why? Because something is about to take place in the DNA of the one, which represents the many, that's going to cause the many to once again be one. Is this too much? A little bit. Okay. <clears throat> Huge. So, I, so this hit me about, I don't know, Monday. I was processing this. And um, I met Evan at uh, Inda for a little bit. Um, he's, he, his grandma had a funeral um, Friday, so y'all be praying for him in Florida. But um, So I'm, I was meeting with him, just talking through some stuff. And anyway, and I walked in, and I, now this is right in the middle of the Lord kind of downloading some of this stuff to me. And I walk in, and I'm looking around these people, and I notice two things. And you're going to notice this if you walk into a coffee shop now, this week. I walk in, and I'm looking around, and I notice two things. There, there's about 20 people in this coffee shop. And 100% of them are sitting there on a computer having no idea the other people are in the room. And so two things hit me. Number one, Lord, <laughs> this is our society. You know what I'm saying? That we can all be in the same space. And this goes back to like the old adage when you get married. It's like you being in the same room is not you being on a date. You know what I'm saying? It's like me and Jordan being in the same room, but if we're in our own worlds on our phones or doing whatever, we're not actually together in that room. We just happen to be in the same space. And so, but we, we as a society, move to the place where we've become, and I know people are working on stuff. I'm taking this way too deep. But we've become so focused on self that we have blinders on to anybody else. Like before the internet, before social media, before all this stuff, at least people like semi-cared about each other. We didn't care about everybody. We cared about mostly people like us, but at least we cared about somebody. You know what I'm saying? And it's gotten to the point now where we kind of don't care about anybody. You know, what I mean? you know what I'm saying? Especially people who bring no value to my pursuits. Like, like if I'm going to, this is how it used to be in religion. If I'm going to meet with somebody, it better further my agenda. And if it doesn't further my agenda, I don't got time for this because I got my agenda to tend to. You know what I'm saying? And now it's like, I want just to uh, dwell in your house, waste my hours and my days on you and finding the grace to waste it. But here's why I'm saying all this is that what, we, what we've done is we've put blinders onto everybody else. And what happens is, is we think we're individuals. Therefore, because we believe we're individuals, we think we don't need the rest of the body. And what Jesus says is you can't make it without the rest of the body, right? What, if you're a toe and you don't have a heart and you don't have a brain and you don't have a face and you don't have eyes and you don't have a nose and you don't have any of that other stuff, how good are you? You're not good at all. So we have a bunch of toes and a bunch of fingers and a bunch of ears and a bunch of eyes walking around that were designed to go together and be one complete body, but instead we believe we can do better on our own and we wonder why we're not doing jack squat. It's because I cannot do this without you, and you can't do this without me. That's how we were designed. And when I say you, I'm not just talking about the people who believe or think or act like you. I'm saying the people down the street that when we walk by, we're doing this because, dear Lord, I hope they don't talk to me because I don't got any money on me or whatever. We need those people. Now, how does evangelist change? evangelism? Now, we're not trying to win people into this religion. 
Now we're trying to wake up our eyes and our nose and our mouth and our ears and all the stuff for us to be a Adam that is in the image and likeness of God before they agree with the idea that I've got to do something in order to be something. Okay, okay, okay. So now that we've established this anthropology of God, let's go back to Romans 5. Particularly, I want to focus on this is how God deals with sin and darkness. Y'all good? The phrase, how much more, we see that many times throughout Romans 5. The phrase, how much more, indicates two things related in substance, but one of those greatly superseding the effect of the other. Okay, Adam is only given context by Jesus. Jesus is not a type and shadow of Adam. It is illegal for us to say that Jesus came to be like Adam. He did not. Adam was like Jesus. And we only know the effect of Adam on the human race because we know the effect of Jesus on the human race. Without Jesus in the story, we have no context for knowing Adam. So Jesus is not a type and shadow of Adam. Adam's a type and shadow of Jesus. All of our religions say that Jesus was a type and shadow of Adam. In other words, Jesus represents Adam, and if you jump from Adam to Jesus, then you might be in with Jesus instead of Adam. But what Adam was, was just a representative. It was a prophetic pointing to Jesus. That way, when Jesus steps onto the scene, Adam no longer has a say. Okay, when Jordan was pregnant with Veda, there was a season where we were preparing, we were getting things ready, we were, you know, going to doctor's appointments, whatever, getting ready for her. When Veda was born, it's illegal for us to act like Jordan is still pregnant. Because she's not. She was pregnant as a type and shadow, as a prophetic pointing to when Veda would be born. But when Veda is born, the reality for the rest of our lives and the rest of her life is, here is Veda. Jordan's no longer pregnant with Veda because Veda's been born. Right? Adam was nothing but a type and shadow until Jesus steps onto the scene and he takes the keys back from Adam and says, now it's me. That's going to help y'all a lot because, listen, you know, well, man, we need to stop living in Adam. I'm going to tell you, this is why sin means formlessness. If Adam still has a form, it's illegal for us to say that we're in Adam and call it sin. Because Adam had a form. Adam had an identity. The only way for us to have conquered sin, sin is formlessness, right? Y'all with me? I'm going to try to break this down. So if sin is formlessness, and we say that we're in Adam and we're also in sin, you're saying two things that don't line up. Because you're saying in one sense, you're in Adam, which means you do have a form. Adam. But then in another sense, you're saying you're in sin, which is loss of form. So the only way this works is if Jesus comes and obliterates the other form so that there's only one form. Now, to be in sin is either you realize you're in Christ or you realize you're not in Christ. That's it. And Adam has suddenly been taken all out of the picture. This is why Paul refers to Jesus as the last Adam. Because once Jesus steps onto the scene, the first Adam becomes irrelevant. Y'all good? 
Okay, 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 okay. So Adam's only given context by Jesus. Adam is a type and shadow. Let me, let me back up. Jesus is our true origin. Jesus is our true identity. Adam is just a type and shadow in that by our relationship to him, Adam, we have all sinned, lost identity. But we inherited, let me back up, let me back up, let me back up. I'm getting way too fast. Adam is a type and shadow in that our relationship before Jesus to him was that we have all sinned, just as he did. We've all lost our identity. And by that, we were inheriting death through that sin. Adam's failure was ours. His fall was ours. Why? Because we are one. As the head goes, so goes the body. Y'all good? Here's what's really interesting. You and I were born after thousands of years, the cross. So, no, 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 no. I'm going to stop right there. Adam's fall was ours, but that does not define us. That is a type and shadow of the ultimate and final effect of Jesus' obedience on us. Jesus, his life is ours, and his righteousness is ours. It's illegal for us to identify with Adam and not Christ. For Adam's identity is only identified through Christ. We only know Adam's effect on all because we know Christ's effect. Let me read this. Let me read this real quick. This is from Karl Barth, amazing theologian. Uh, he uh, was, was started in Germany, refused to sign an allegiance to Hitler, so Hitler kicked him out of the country, fired him from his job, and then he became a Scottish theologian. Um, so anyway, but amazing guy. Let me, let me read this uh, out of his book, Christ and Adam. This is from the 1960s. This was published. He actually wrote this, I believe, in 1932. But let me just read this. Um, page 47, bottom part. Is that what I want to do? Yes, that's what I want to do. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Adam is not our head. And we are not his members. Because above Adam and before Adam is Christ. Our relationship to Christ has essential priority and superiority over our relationship to Adam. He, Christ, is the victor. And we in him are those who are awaiting victory. Our human race is preserved by sharing Adam's nature because Adam's humanity is a provisional copy of the real humanity that is in Christ. So as Adam's children and heirs in our past, as weak, sinners, godless, enemies, whatever you want to call it, we are in this provisional way still men whose nature reflects the true human nature of Christ. And so... Because our nature in Adam is a provisional copy of our true nature in Christ, its formal structure can and must, even in its pres- or excuse me, uh, perversion, even in its perversion, be the same. Now, I want you to hear this. I backed up to there because I wanted to read this, give you context. The whole argument of Adam and Christ turns on this provisional character of Adam and our human nature in relation to him. Right from the start, Right from the start, we have to take account of the essential disparity between him and Christ. 
between our bond with him and our bond with Christ. This is not the case of right against right, but of man's wrong against God's right. Not of truth against truth, but of man's lie against God's truth. It's not even a case of power against power, but of man's powerlessness and God's power. Least of all, it is a case of God against God. I want you to hear this. A God, least of all, it is a case of God against God, which is a God of this world, talking about Adam, against the God, the creator. But it's simply of man against the one God, the argument. And on the other side, the same one God for man. This is why we cannot rest content with the formal parallel and why the question about the priority and superiority of one side over the other can only be answered in one way. The main point of Romans 5, 12 through 21 is that here, last part, man stands against God in such a way that even in his opposition, in his wrongness, in his lie, in his powerlessness, he must be a witness for God that even as Adam and Adam's child or children, he must be the mirror that reflects God's work and so be the precursor of Christ. Check this out. Even in the bad relationship to Adam, even in our bad relationship to Adam, we still remain man and the structure of our nature is such that it can find its meaning and fulfillment in good relationship to Christ. Last part. Even under the lordship of sin and death, our nature is still human nature, and so is the likeness and image of what it will be under the lordship of grace and life. That is how the essential disparity of Adam and Christ is contained within their formal identity. Listen to the last part. Our relationship to Adam is a subordinate relationship. Because the guilt and punishment that we incur in Adam have no independent reality on their own. But are only dark shadows of the grace and life that we find in Christ. So in Adam, we were all dead. That even is a prophetic sign that something was coming in Christ that was going to awaken all that were dead. Even in the muddy darkness of our relationship to Adam, all it ever was was a prophetic pointing to what our life and justification was going to be like through the one Christ. What? And this is why this is, I mean, this is massive. At the peak, at the peak of human darkness, we find Jew and Gentile alike rejecting completely God himself. If you go back to the end of the Gospels, to the Passion story, the Jews, the Israelites, are the ones that handed Jesus over. But who did they hand Jesus over to? Pilate, who was a Gentile. So Jew and Gentile together decide that we're going to completely reject God. I want you to hear this. This was the pinnacle of human darkness that Jesus willingly trekked into. This is why it says, Paul says in verse 6, 
at just the right time when we were still powerless. And that is a weak translation. But at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Why is that? God waited until the absolute darkest of dark in humanity which is not what they did to the place of worship. It's not turning to idols. It's that God became flesh and dwelled right in front. God himself was standing before them. And the pinnacle of human darkness was when Jew and Gentile together as one looked God in the eye and said, we don't want you. And they killed him. God did not kill Jesus. We did. God had no wrath that needed to be appeased through the blood of his son. We had a wrath that needed to be appeased through the blood of his son. The pinnacle of the darkness. We look Jesus in the eye. God, Paul says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily in Christ. So, when we look into Jesus, we look into Father, Son, and Spirit, and we say, we do not want you. And Jesus willingly trekked into that. But what does verse 20 say? Where sin increased, right there, grace increased more. Jesus planted his feet, I said this in words, planted his feet in the darkest of darkness in that moment and said, from here will come the light, it is finished. And light, John says, pierced through that darkness and the darkness could not and cannot comprehend or overcome it. Do y'all feel that? We, see, we go through Easter and we're like, praise God, Jesus died so that God wouldn't beat the snot out of us. No, 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 no. Jesus died because we beat the snot out of him. We, in the most, in the, the depths of our guts and our darkness, and God let us get there. In fact, he needed us to get there in order to do what he actually wanted to do. He needed the darkness and the nastiness and the chaos of our loss of identity to get to its pinnacle so that Jesus could step into the darkness, make his home there, and say, from right here, let there be light. Which means, if he shined a light from the pits of darkness, there is no darkness found within him, therefore there is no darkness found within us. Well, well bro, what about the darkness, what about the sin around our culture right here? Well, here's what Paul has to say. Where sin is increasing, their grace is increasing all the more. Uh-oh, uh-oh. See, we've rejected people in sin because they're not repeating a prayer. And Jesus says, no, they're in their depths and in their darkness, grace is increasing all the more so that I can speak into them just like I spoke into you, let there be light. But they'll never know it, they'll never know it if we who represent Jesus and represent Christianity and represent the gospel are telling them that they can't be in the club until they fix it when their issues are the exact place that Jesus has planted his feet. Jesus didn't find me when I cleaned up. He found me when I was messy and he cleaned me up. 
Well, we know this about the gospel, and yet we don't see this in everybody else who haven't bought into a gospel that said God wants to beat the snot out of them. I don't either. No, the gospel is, is when man as one reached the pinnacle of its sin, Jesus became the sin so that we might become righteousness by him becoming our sin. Jesus, Jesus did not wait for us to become righteous in order to say, here we are. Jesus became us in our sins so that he could pull us into righteousness through the act of obedience of the cross. Why, why have we never heard this? Because this is dangerous for a gospel that is built on religious reconciliation. What is reconciliation? The word reconciliation is the word um, uh, katalasso, uh, Greek word, katalasso. And it comes from two words. The, the word katalasso means to exchange. Okay, amazing, that's great. But it comes from two Greek words. It's a compound word, comes from two Greek words. It comes from uh, kat, kat, which means, you ready for this? It means to go down into, and it also means to go down against. So what that means is, is there a light flicker behind me? Oh, okay, all right, rebuke you, devil. Um, anyway, so the first word, kat, it means to go down, literally, into the depths of something, but be contrast to what you're going into the depths of. Okay, so it means to go down against. It means that you are one substance going down into the depth of another substance and you stand in contrast with whatever you're going down into. That's what God means. And then alasso, the other part of that word, means to exchange, right, or to transform. So here's what reconciliation means. It means that Jesus went into the depths of Adam's darkness, but he contrasted it because he was light. And in that depth, he exchanged Adam's darkness for his light. Which means you and I did not originate in Adam's darkness. You and I originated in God's light. How brought that? See, see, how does that met? How does that mess with the West? We think everybody was born into sin, so we got to get them out of sin. No, no, no. Everybody was born in God. Everybody was born into the light. We've just got to make sure they remind themselves day in and day out that they're actually in the light. But the, Lord, 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 Lord. The passion narrative was not just a past event; it is a present event. In our culture today, where sin increases, there grace increases all the more. Jesus became sin for this very reason. So that by being like us in our darkest places, we could find our likeness even there. He made his home in our darkness, which means even our darkness becomes his home, which is light. Adam had to be a type and shadow, which is verse 14. Had to be a type and shadow that was subordinate to the reality of Christ so that once the reality of Christ was manifested in the incarnation, Adam would be permanently undone and no longer have a say. Adam, Adam had to be lower than Christ, right? Before Christ stepped in, in the incarnation, Adam reigned. But when Christ stepped in in the incarnation, 
our relationship to him had to take primary authority so that now him being above Adam, Adam no longer has an authoritative say in anything. Y'all, are y'all good? Y'all with me? Okay, so let me, let me explain the difference, then I'm going to wrap it up. The difference between re- what we have grown up understanding and what is actually reality. Religious reconciliation versus cosmic repre- reconciliation. Religious reconciliation, every religion on earth has a theology, and I say theology loosely because they don't you know, believe in Yahweh, but, and it's theology is the study of God, but they have a, uh, an understanding of reconciliation, right? So uh, let me just, just pull the plug on this bad boy. So, uh, so for the Jews, they are reconciled to God if they keep the law, right? For the Muslims, they're reconciled to whoever by keeping their law. And to the Islamists, they're reconciled to whoever by keeping that law. And to the Buddhists, they're reconciled to the earth or somewhere um, by keeping that set of standards. So every religion has a reconciliation thought pattern, right? For Christianity, for for Western American Southern denominational Christianity, um, what that is is if you do, uh, you, you repeat the prayer, you start going to church, um, believe in the rapture, a key one. What are some other ones? Uh, Vote Republican is another one. Um, Oh, definitely, definitely be against vaccine. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. Um, uh, I haven't gotten a vaccine, so I'm, you know, I'm just throwing fuel in the fire. I just like doing it because everybody's complaining about a vaccine. If you don't want to get a vaccine, just don't get a vaccine. Who cares? But, um, and if you do want to get a vaccine, do get a vaccine. Who cares? Anyway, but this is, this, is, this, is, this is what we got. And if you do that stuff, you're in. You're reconciled. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Vote like that. Wait for Congress to vote so you don't have to do Jack Diddley and, you know, all that stuff. But, but, y'all tell me right now. Let me just help y'all out. If Jesus came to give us that, then this church is done. Because I did not, we did not sell the farm to preach a gospel that if you do this and you vote this and you wear this, then you're in. That is not why we started this church. And if that's the actual, which is not, but if that's the understanding of reconciliation Jesus came to do, number one, Jesus failed. Number two, death wins. Right? And number three, let's be real, who wants to be a part of that? Which is why people are running a million miles an hour away from it. And I'm leading the charge. No, I'm just kidding. But do you know what I'm saying? Who, who wants to do that? But what if we sat people down and said, here's the truth, is that where sin increased, not bloody wrath of God increased the more, right? Not he- where sin increased, hell increased the more. Because that's what we believe. Brother, where sin increased, the fire of hell increased the more. No, 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 no. Where sin increased... Grace increased the more. Uh uh oh. Now we've got to look at all the people that we've rejected and say, right there is actually where grace is increasing higher than anywhere on planet Earth. (laughs) What? And that doesn't that doesn't mean that God's walking around doing this. Please, God, I don't want to see what they're doing. It's meaning that God's staring them right in the gut, saying, I know who you are, and I will not stop until you know who you are. 
That's what he's doing. But that, it takes a love for the Lord to look at somebody. Listen, the church has rejected the homosexual community like nobody's business. Like, no, rejected them like crazy. Rejected them. How many of us ever sat down and said, I know who you are, and I'm going to love you until you know who you are? None of us. Here's the problem. That's what Jesus is doing. Right? You know what I'm saying? And if you don't think that's what Jesus is doing, you must be reading from the King James. Because I promise you, the King James probably has something in there about homosexual and hating them. But, do you know what I'm saying? Ironically, King James... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. So, what, what happens... Listen, what happens when 1 John... Okay? Listen to this. What happens when 1 John, which is God is light, God is love. God is light that you can't find a trace of darkness in. What happens when that plants itself in our deepest darkness? What happens when 1 John, John says, this is the message that we've heard, which by the way is in none of the gospels. So it's like they withheld it from everybody and then he released it to a select few, which we got it, surprise. But in 1 John, he said, y'all wanna know the real message we heard? This is the message that Jesus heard and this is the message that we can't get out of our ears. Come on, John, what was it? God is like, there is no trace of darkness in him. John, I mean, can you imagine sitting around with John around a fire? And John saying, like, this is what he said that I can't get out of my head. Now they saw, I mean, Lord, they saw unbelievable things. They saw the resurrection. They saw Lazarus get up. I mean, all the stuff. And I'm saying, yeah, that's great. That's all. That's amazing stuff. We love that stuff. But you know the one thing that we cannot get out of our brains? God is light, and there's no trace of darkness in him. You know what I'm saying? That's what John says, 1 John. Now, what happens when that God who is light that darkness cannot find space in plants himself in our darkest of dark? Let me... Let me, let, me, let me just, what do I want to read this in Passion Translation? Let me just read this real quick. This is what John says in John 1, actual gospel of John, not 1 John 1. Um, y'all good? I mean, it's only 1144, so y'all, y'all are fine. All right. Check this out. This is what John tells the public in his gospel. In the very beginning, the living expression was already there. That Lord, that's, that's enough to make people mad right there. The living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face. Talking about Jesus. In the very beginning, through his creative inspiration, the living expression made all things. Nothing has existence apart from him. Salah. Nothing nothing exists unless it's in and from and to him. (laughs) So if there's anything that we believe exists that we think is separated from him, it don't. For nothing has existence apart from him. Let me dig myself deeper and deeper. Life came into being because of him. Now, I want you to hear this. And his life is light for all humanity. And this living expression is the light that burst through the darkness And the darkness 
cannot diminish or comprehend it. What darkness? He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What happens when a God who is light that darkness can't find a space in plants himself in our darkness? I, want, I really want to help you out. Okay, Darkness can't find space in him. So he became our darkness. But if darkness can't find a space in him, when he became our darkness, what happened to our darkness? It no longer could find a space in us. It is illegal for us to see ourselves as joined to Christ, which if you are a Christian, you see yourself as joined to Christ. It's illegal to see ourselves as joined to Christ and still think that there's darkness in us. There's delusion in us, absolutely, but there ain't darkness. Thanks. The darkness of the world is not an announcement of its doom. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The darkness of the world is an announcement that we might be inheriting a grace that we've never had before. Man, the world is getting dark. Well, we better buckle up because where sin is increasing, grace is increasing all the more. What if we're inheriting a measure of grace? If we can see it right, which we're going to. But if we can see, what if we're through all this mess are inheriting a measure of grace that maybe we couldn't have even inherited had it not been for the sin increasing in the culture around us? And we, see, we look at the sin and say, dear God, it's getting bad. I'm, I'm starting to look at the sin in our culture and say, praise God, we're inheriting grace. <laughs> I, uh, man, I, w- I wish y'all could feel this like I feel it. And I know some of y'all are going to process this later. That's okay. I'm going to end with this. Matt, you want to hop up here? All right. Now, after this, I want to go here. And we're going we're to go a little deeper into Romans 5 next week because I got some stuff to say about some of this. But after Romans 5, Paul gives this, okay? He, he goes through and says, just as one tra- trespass sin, just as one act of disobedience resulted in condemnation for everybody, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for everybody. Paul is saying how the one act of disobedience affected the all was just a prophetic declaration to what the one act of obedience was going to do. Do y'all see this? Are y'all good? I know I'm royally, royally messing up your theology. I know that, and it needs to be. It absolutely needs to be. Because let me tell you something. The early church did not go get their heads chopped off and their bodies pulled apart for a apathetic show up on Sunday and get your feel gospel. That is not what they, and I wouldn't either. They gave their lives for a gospel that said, even you who are about to chop my head off were included. Could that be why Jesus had to give them the command to love their enemies? Love, agape, prefer your enemies. Why? Because they ain't your enemies anymore. He goes through this in Romans 5, and this is how he starts Romans 6. What shall we say then in Romans 6? Should we just keep sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Why? 
We are those who are dead to sin. How could we live in it any longer? He's, well, that's, that's going to be a license to sin. No, 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 no. It can't be a license. If you've died to something, how can you possibly live to it anymore? If you've been brought into the light, how can you possibly live as if you're in the dark? You can't. The problem is, is we've preached a gospel and people start backsliding all over the place. We think they're turned away from the light. No, 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 no. Jesus said, and I taught this last weekend for the, for the few of you that heard it. Jesus said, be careful to the Pharisees. Be careful that what you call light is actually not darkness. And I'm going to say to religion right now, be careful that what we've called as light is actually not darkness. So people might not be running from the light. They might be running from the darkness. Praise God. But, but what Paul is saying is, is when Jesus steps into the guts of the darkness and shines his light within that, how could you possibly live as if you don't have the light anymore? So he, he does not say, should we keep sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, if you do, you'll lose it. Doesn't say that. He says, by no means, because we're a completely different person now. So, so here's, here's what I, I want. I want to do two very specific how I want to end this. Two ways. Number one, why am I teaching this? Like, I mean, for why, why, why am I teaching through this stuff? Because at the end of the day, this is not, I mean, it should. But this is not going to get us hyped up. Because I've been teaching this for months. And at the end of the day, you know, praise God, I love my theology getting trashed right now. No, 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 no. Okay? I know what I'm doing. But this is why this is important is number one, we will never impact the culture the way that we were actually designed to impact the culture if we don't see the culture correctly. That's number one. If I don't see my brothers and sisters as my actual brothers and sisters that are so united with me that we're one body, how on earth am I ever going to be able to love my enemies, let alone love those who barely love me? And how am I going to carry somebody else's burden if I don't see that burden affecting me as well? I'm not. But if I see their burden as my burden, suddenly that begins to create a community that we could never create through works. You don't have, when you go home for Thanksgiving, you don't have to work to try to feel like, to act like a son of your parents or a daughter of your parents. You know what I'm saying? Like when you go home for Thanksgiving, you don't have to do this and this and this and this and this. And they say, you know what? I'm going to call you my son again. I'm going to call you my daughter again. No, when you walk into the door, you sit on the couch, you grab stuff out of the pantry, you grab whatever you need out of the house because it's your home. It's your parent. It doesn't matter how long you've been away from home. If it's been two years, when you walk back into the house, you're still son and you're still daughter and nothing changes, right? And so what we have to do is we've got to see ourselves and those around us as so connected that there is nothing that they could do or we could do that would harm that because if it harmed it, it would harm us. And But the first fruit of that is us seeing the, the body in here as one. I mean, you know what I'm saying? How on earth can we see people out there as one with us if we can't even see people in the room as one with us? So, so that's the first step. So I, I just want us to see people like that. When you, when you start getting mad at somebody this week, because I get mad at a lot of people during the week, somebody cut me off this week. Let me tell you, let me tell y'all something real quick. Let me tell y'all something. What makes me mad? So I, we were leaving Veda's dance. So this is a testimony. This is a testimony, and also this is just, just me venting. Um, but then I'm done. I'm done. But my tire light last weekend, yeah, last Friday night, we left church. I get in my car, my tire light says, my tire is basically flat. 
And so, uh, so I pull over, check air, check air is fine. And so go home, come back the next day. Next day I turn my car on and it says zero. Like the tire's like completely fat, flat. And, um, but I look at it and like, it's not flat at all. So I go get it checked, it's fine, right? My tire light's still on, it says it's flat. And so we go to take Veda dance class on Tuesday. After we leave dance class, I'm driving on the interstate and I hear something rattling in my car. So I pull over, and the only reason I pull over is because that tire light's been on for two days, and I'm like, okay, maybe it's finally, like, flat. Maybe what it's been saying is actually coming to pass is flat. I'm going to pull over and check it. Pull over and check it. The tire's fine. And so I'm like, all right, I'm just going to get in the car. I'm just going to go home. And something in me said, just check the rest of your tires. And honestly, my first response was, no, my other tires are great. It's this one that's messed up. But I was already on the side of the road about to get hit anyway, so I was like, well, if I'm going to go out, this is a great way to do it. So I walk around, and my back tire is flat, okay? And so not only is it flat, I start, you know, talking to Jordan. Jordan was luckily close and getting it ready. And all of a sudden, I look down, and there's fire ants climbing all up my leg, so I'm getting destroyed by those. And, uh, but, but here's what I'm saying all this. About a year ago, I would be on the side of the road smashing this car to pieces in anger. Like, I'd be, you know the little, like, the little wrench thing that you used to, I changed the spare tire on my own, praise God. And um, that little wrench thing, I wouldn't be using it to change the tire. I'd be using it to beat the car. I'd be just like, that, you know, it's mad. And, um, but I'd just smile. I'd just change the tire, take it to Walmart, spend a ton of money on a tire because there's a shortage and all that stuff. And literally, it, like, I was fine. And it was a testament, I'm telling it was a testament to everything the Lord's been walking us through is A, causing us, hopefully, to see situations differently. I, don't, I could have been on the way home, had my tire not gone flat, I might have been on the way home and somebody slammed into my car. I'll, I'll never know that, right? But if I don't trust and I don't see that he's good in all things and I don't see that he's love and I don't see this as an as expression of love, then I'm going to look at that tire and say, God, I must have done something wrong. I must have done something bad and this is God punishing me for it or whatever, right? And on top of that, when I go to Walmart, praise God, those blessed people are just so happy. And, um, and so, you know, I'm like, hey, ma'am, you know, I'm here to get a new tire. It was a super big inconvenience for them to, to put on a tire in the tire department. And um, just, you know, just like ruining their day by needing a new tire. And, um, and so anyway, and so just like McDonald's, you know what I mean? Like you ever go to McDonald's, you know, drive through, like, hey, can I have a cheeseburger? And they're like, ah, fine. It's like, like you just like messed up their day because you're getting a cheeseburger at McDonald's and they're making cheeseburgers. Anyway, and, uh, and can I have ice cream? It's broke. Okay, great. So anyway, I'm, t- I'm talking to this lady and she's just like not feeling it, not having it. You know, and I was like, hey, could they just check the air on the other tire? That's going to cost you more money. I'm like, hey, can I just do the air? Can I check the air? You know, it's like three seconds. And um, anyway, so I was talking to her. But, but there was something, I said all that to say this. There was something in me that saw her completely different. And I, I kid you not, Jordan can attest to this. Not that long ago, I would have been the table turner, right? And I could excuse it by saying, well, Jesus turned the tables. And I'm not going to be fake. I'm going to be mad. You know what I'm saying? And now the Lord has brought me to a place that is huge where I'm saying, I'm not having to restrict my anger. I'm naturally producing love that I never produced before. And that's why I'm telling you this testimony. 
it seems insignificant, but there's an identity shift that's taking place on the inside of us right now that's going to affect even the minute details of your life that you don't even recognize. When you're getting gas and the pump is out of order and you got to pull around to another one and then somebody says that one's out of order and people are just like acting like you're just like ruining their day, all of a sudden you're going to look at them and see this is part of my body. The way I treat them is the way I'm going to treat me. And of course Jesus said this language over and over and over and over and over and over and over. You know what I mean? What you do to a hand, you do to the foot. You might not do it directly, but at the end of the day, when the foot needs a hand, the hand's going to be broke. You know what I'm saying? And so, so at this week, number one, I want you to just process that when you see people. Number two, number two, I want you to look at your life, and I want you to ask yourself the question, what does my life, what does it mean that I've been reconciled to God? Like, what, what does it mean that through Christ I have been reconciled, that the everything in me that did not belong in me has been exchanged for everything in Christ. What does that mean in operating in it? You know what I'm saying? Like not, not putting your arm around people and praying for people because, man, I just, I just it's, my, it's my duty. It's something I got to do. No, but like having such a revelation of reconciliation that you can overflow that revelation of reconciliation into somebody else and they receive a revelation of reconciliation. I feel like I've used that word a million times today. You know how you say a word like a hundred times and then it sounds weird? Um, that's that's kind of what's happening. But anyway, don't do that. But let me pray and we'll be done. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I just, I am so blown away that in a, in a little church in the middle of downtown Columbia, that 90% of America could care absolute less about a city in South Carolina called Columbia. There you are just laying on us with such a heaviness and such a weight that you are just, just giving us everything that you think about us, that you think about our culture, that you see in us, that you've seen in us before the foundations of the earth. And, and in that, we are becoming the manifested son and sons and daughters of God. But Lord, I, I pray that this is, this is something that really needs to take root in us. We, for, for three and a half years, almost four years, we've done nothing but talk about we are in the image and likeness of God. That's all we talked about, image and likeness, image and likeness. But where you moved us today was not just seeing us individually as made in the image and likeness, but us as a whole relationally in the image and likeness, where we are so united that we're one human race, yet we're so individual that we never lose self. So our relationship in human, in human race, our relationship reflects the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit, because at the end of the day, we're included in the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. So Lord, help us process what that means. Help us process how to see people like that. Help me, start with me. And, uh, and Lord, we just, we just give you the honor and praise for what you're doing in us. In your name, amen.